This is Bob Rourke with Business Leaders Podcast. And today, as a guest, we have Charlie Weidman. He's the CTO and president of Buddha Logic. And we're going to go completely off script today. We're going to do a deep dive in robots, digital transformation, and financial process automation. And if that doesn't make your toes curl, we'll dig into it. So, Charlie, thanks so much for taking the time. Bob, pleasure to be here. You and I chatted in a previous podcast, and we talked about what you do at Buddha Logic. And I was sufficiently interested in what I thought the possibilities were that I wanted to come back and do a deep dive. Because I think folks don't quite get what it is that you do. Great. Well, happy to share what I can and give you guys some insight into what robots are, what digital transformation is, and what we can do with financial processes. You and I were talking before we started the episode. You'd been working with a housing authority here in Denver for eight years. That's correct. We've seen them through quite a transition. So, you know, if I were to look back eight years ago, we were processing truckloads of paper that would show up and be captured in one way or feature or fashion or another, scanning and sorting and separating and batching. It would take a week to process a paper application. And I think about that from the end user, from the customer standpoint. You go, what's going on with my app? Well, it's somewhere between the loading dock and the fourth floor or whatever. So what I thought would be useful is to kind of go back and go, this is where we were eight years ago. And they didn't just jump off the cliff and start doing robots. And frankly, I don't even know that robot quote were available at the time. And so let's kind of go sequentially what they were doing. Okay. So if you think of in terms of a life cycle going from, if you really want to start from scratch, you're an entity that has not even thought about moving away from paper, getting into the digital transformation of paper. This housing authority was pretty much right in that space eight years ago. They made a decision to say, we can't process paper anymore. And the paper we get in, we need to digitize and then move it into repository and make it available for our loan processors to take care of our customers. Phase one, let's define a backbone, put together something that allows us to capture that information, understand what we have, and get it into the processor's hands within a week's time. Let's say seven business days. That would be a huge goal. Because right now, at year eight, it was all over the map how quickly something got processed. Sneaker net paper from one desk to another and inboxes and outboxes. So you can imagine what a mess that was. I have this vision of what people's desks look like. And just think of the storage space you need just to handle that paper. Because you got to keep these documents for a certain period of time to make sure that you captured everything, and then you got to go find it if there's an issue, right? So not only do you have paper coming in and you're capturing it, you have the storage of the paper. And whose desk is it on? And line two is wrong. Who does it go back to? It was quite a challenge. So phase one was how do we streamline, centralize where the paper shows up? So we have mailroom. Now we have this concept of mailroom, and we're going to automate the mailroom. Okay. Kind of a robot. If you want to look at it, stretch it a little bit. I'm going to start automating how I capture my paper. So that was phase one. In phase one, when the document came in, what automated it? What you captured? Just a scan? You'd have a handful of people that would look at the document and they would start sorting the document types, right? This is beginning capture, beginning scanning, right? All right, we're going to segregate these. Now I'm going to scan a batch of applications. Here's a scan and a batch of titles, some insurance documents, right? 
That was phase one. Let's just understand the documents that we're ingesting. They created a job aid for all these people. So now I have this huge board that says, oh, when you get this kind of document, this is the pile it goes into, and that's what we scan it into. That automation was really just an understanding of content and how the content needs to be separated and then how you feed it into this digital process. Once that was accomplished and they felt good about that, I think that took them about a year, year and a half to get comfortable with. They've got this beautiful job aid now that represents 160 plus document types. So people who they bring in to train start understanding what they've got and how to process it. And for the folks listening, they may not visualize the document mass. Let's see. So I guess a good way to look at that would be imagine if you were to receive 500 loan applications one day, just they showed up at your doorstep. So you can imagine that may be one, two, three boxes of paper, depending on all the supporting documentation that goes with that. You've got everything from your insurance information, bank information, appraisal reports. You can imagine what this looks like, a package. I would say an average loan package is around 600 pages, or it used to be. That's a lot per document. That looks like a ream of paper. Yeah. Yeah. So this shows up every morning. So all the guys in the mailroom are beefy. Oh, they haul the boxes. In. But that's a good point. The volume is important to think because and then they have to store it for a period of time. So now you have to have a room or a floor in your building. If you've captured them, wonderful. Now they're electronic, but you still have to store them and hang on to the source for 30 days or 60 days, depending on what your requirements are for your particular business. So that's the volume. So phase one was, all right, we understand what we're getting. We have a good idea how to separate it and put it into a process that allows the people who need to review and decide, yes, this is a good risk. Let's go ahead and follow through and make this loan. We're at about five to seven days from who knows how long it took before. Maybe it was a couple, three weeks. Like you said, the customer is going, where's my app? It was like, well, let me go find it. <laughs> and that takes even more people. Who's got this loan? So they have to go to the file room and check to see if it came in. And you can imagine all the steps that are going on to track where something is at any particular point in time in a paper process. Even when it's digital, that first phase, unless it was at the processors in front of them, what they were learning is now we have to have a way to say, once we've digitized it, how do we retrieve that information quickly when we have somebody who's interested in what the status of their loan is? Okay. So by doing phase one, you start identifying those things that you need to think of in phase two. How do we improve our automation process? So part two is, can we stop sorting all the paper? If we have to keep doing paper, can I just put it in a scanner, in a stack, and let the software take care of it? So phase two was to bring in different tool sets that said, all right, I understand what a mortgage document is. We're going to create a model that this software does and says, all right, I just scanned 500 pages and I know that there's a loan app in there. I know there's an appraisal report. I know there's titles and deeds. I know there's verification of employment, all sorts of certifications. The robot or the machine has decided, hey, here's what I found. Now I'm going to present it to the same mailroom people who have learned what these document types are from phase one and say, did I get it right? So now the robot is starting to take that approach where the, the machine, the software is saying, I've done my best to understand what you just sent me. I'm presenting it to you to tell me if I'm right or wrong. 
And when you tell me I'm right, I'm going to remember that information. And when you tell me I'm wrong, I'm also going to remember that. And you tell me what it should have been. So now we're talking about machine learning. How does machine understand when it makes mistakes? Well, the human has to tell it. And then the software package or the, the robot has to understand, ah, next time I see this, I know it should be this document type, not the one I thought it was. So there's some autocorrection that goes on. So phase two, really, this took about a year and a half as well, was to not only continue the automation process, right, taking paper, but now take less of the work out of the human and let the machine or the robot do it. So now I'm going to let the robot tell me what I've got, and I'm just going to review. So now I've changed how I do my job. I'm hired to review documents, not sort them and batch them and go look for them. With that piece was how do we grab information about that document so when we store it into a repository that can be searched and retrieved by the processors, what's the information around it so it makes it easy for that loan operator to go, okay, here's the application, the co-borrower and borrower name, put that in, show me all the documents associated with those two. Or maybe they have a loan number. Let's grab the loan number. Every document that's in the repository comes back. What was the reaction from the customer, the people that were submitting the apps as this was going through? First of all, to say five to seven days, it was a big win because the customer used this could have been a couple of weeks before they heard anything back, maybe three. So now the service level agreement of people coming into or the SLA coming into the housing authority said within five to seven days, we'll get you a response back. So they were very pleased about that. It was a big win for them. How did the folks that started in the beginning with handling and the paperwork, what was their response to this change? I guess there was a lot of relief, I guess that's how I would describe it. Because what used to be when they needed to find out there's a problem, somebody's complaining, we have a customer that's not happy. Now everybody's in scramble mode to go find all the documents associated with it. Well, with that transition into digitizing that information, there's one place to look. Occasionally, they still had to go reference the paper because, hey, maybe we missed something. Maybe we didn't get everything that we should have scanned in. But in general, it's like, at least we have one place to go look for our data now. For the housing agency, did they start to notice their cost reduction at that point or is it still? So what happened was they started to get more customers because they could offer the five to seven day turnaround. Now more vendors were interested in using them. So now the volume of paper went up. (laughs) It's a wonderful problem to have. I mean, now I'm getting twice as much paper as I used to, which is okay because they set up phase one to handle that. Storage grew. So now they're having to ship some of the stuff off site. So you've got the paper moving offsite. Customer participation, you've got more customers. They are thrilled that they have a five to seven day SLA versus the two to three week. And now the second phase, which is how do we do our automation and make it smarter? Continue to let the machine do as much work as possible and let the humans review. And then the phase three was how do we reduce paper now? How do we grow our customer base and reduce the amount of paper we're gathering. Because paper costs money to store. It takes a lot of time to process, even if you have fast scanners. This housing authority had four scanners running all the time, 200 sheets per minute type paper scanners, right? That's a big investment. That's a quite a crew to run those and keep things flowing. How do we shrink the paper? So what the housing authority did was offer incentives to say, look, if you email us 
or drop this into an FTP site as a PDF or an image, you don't have to send us the paper anymore. So now these vendors who were shipping boxes of paper daily just saved anywhere from $10,000 a month, depending on the vendor, to even more for some of these larger vendors. Every day, they've just saved themselves shipping. Because a lot of times, they want it done as quickly as possible, so they FedEx stuff. You can imagine the cost savings just for their customers. So now, the software has to take the next step. How do I ingest I, I, I just think about the dollar savings on man hours for scanning and maintenance. So again, you have to have bandwidth. So there was some investment that the housing authority had to make. So we're going to set up an FTP site that allows people to put documents there. Now we have to take another tool set that says, all right, we have this wonderful model that we're building that recognizes mortgage documents, understands what they do. And we're going to now feed it with out paper. We need to grab it electronically, do the same thing, split it up and present it to somebody who understands what the document is. Say, yep, you got it right. Off to the processor. That was really the last piece of this automation process to get them to the point where paper started dropping and it literally took about six months to go from 98% paper and 2% electronic to the opposite, which is 98% electronic, 2% paper. But the incentive is there. Otherwise, you get to do it again and do it again. Easier to do right the first time. It was. And as soon as the larger vendors understood they could do this, they switched almost immediately. So what happens is this was a lovely revelation for the housing authority is like, let's let them do the scanning. So now I've taken a part of my what I used to be as a customer service providing you the service. I'm letting you do that for me. And then what I've offered is you don't have to send me the paper. And now we're going to shrink our SLA down to four days. It, it's a huge win for everybody. Uh, again, you've shifted, and the customer's actually happy about it. You've shifted the burden of the scanning to the customer. There are some little stars you put by that because quality of image drives everything with machine learning and understanding what you have. Because if the image is poor, I'm not going to do a very good job as a robot or a machine and say, I understand what this is. I'm just going to give it my best guess. So encouraging the vendors, the customers to do a good job, that gets a gray area. It's hard to enforce that. The opposite side of that is, hey, it was really poor. So years, instead of being two days, if the document had been really clean, we probably could have gotten back to you in two days. It took four. So SLAs basically represent, especially when you're doing digital transformation, what it takes at the extreme end. If you send me really poor stuff, it's going to take me my maximum SLA. If you send me really good stuff, I might turn that around in hours, depending on how clean it is. Now with this year four on, what we've done is we've refined the model. The model can continues to grow and get better to understand the documents coming in. Now we're extracting data off of the actual application. We started with classifying and separating and putting some minimal data around that so it could be retrieved quickly. Now what we're going to do is say, all right, let's extract the information off of the document so nobody has to enter it. Processors were having to enter a number of the data fields into their systems 
And they were happy to do it because before we were working off a paper or whatever. So that wasn't a, an issue. But now the next step is let's let the machine do the next step. Extract the data, try to determine through the databases that are available if the data I extracted, if it matches, I know this is good data. I don't even need to present it to somebody. I can just take that data and put it into the system. If it's not very confident, now I can present it to an operator who goes, all right, again, it's kind of that same concept. The machine thinks it's this. I need a human to review it. Yes or no, it starts learning. So what happens is the next phase is now our model not only understands what it's looking at, it understands where the information is on it. So it extracts it, puts it into the system that helps them make the decision whether or not to make the loan to this customer. That is about year six. It took us about six years to get that point where we're extracting data. We're very comfortable with how the model works. And now we're starting to look at how do we expose the workflow portion of it? How do we move this information in such a way where the customer has visibility into the process? So no longer is it, I fed you my documents, I'm waiting for a call or I'm calling you. I need to show how do we make it visible? There's been a couple of ways that they've accomplished that. They set up a portal. So now the customer has a place to go to put their documents in. And because they use that portal, there's information that we enforce. So it's no longer the software, the robot doesn't have to be as smart in many ways, because now we're controlling what the data looks like when it comes in. So it's got to be a PDF. It's got to have certain attributes associated with it. You've got to tell me the documents that you're sending. Again, we're shifting some of that work into the customer's hands, and it becomes more incentive because now we're dropping down our SLA to less than a day. Here's how you incent the customer to start using the tools that allow you to do a better job. So far, we've gone from seven to God knows how long days to where it's a day. It's a day. So when I receive that document in my world, in a day, I'm going to get a response back to you. And that's in year six. That's your, yeah, six yeah. to seven. And now we have a day turnaround time. We've got a way to do a better job of understanding the data coming in. So again, that speeds up our process, helps separation and classification and extracting data. And the customer knows within a day, I'm going to get a response. So transparency starts they can't actually dial in and look, but when they feed the portal, the document set they get fed has, these are pending. And within a day, we update that portal and say, okay, we've received these documents. Oh, there's still some pending. We never received these. Or maybe there's something that we haven't processed yet. So they have at least a way to check in without making the calls and sweating if they're going to get the loan or not. That was year seven. And now year eight, we've taken the next step for us is to how do we get that SLA within hours? And again, SLA? SLA, service level agreement. So we were at a day, year seven, and year eight to nine, we're now under 45 minutes. So how do we do that? What's that next step? Well, now we're looking at robotic processes. And what those are is, are there manual, repetitive tasks that can complement what we're doing when we're bringing in that data from the portal. What would be an example of a manual repetitive task? Let's say when we receive information and there is a missing document, you sent me the set, I'm missing a title. Okay. So somebody would understand titles missing. 
I need to generate an email, put some information in it, send it back to the customer, say, I need this back. Those things show up and missing documents. It takes time to sit down. There's templates you can use. There's things you can do, but somebody is manually sitting down to do that. So what do we do? We create a robotic process automation that when a certain event happens and a document's missing, now the robot goes, oh, okay, time to wake up. I know all the information here. I know the document that's missing. I know the borrower and the customer. I'm going to send them an email. And then I'm going to watch for a response back from that customer. I'm going to watch my inbox. And when I see that, I'm going to grab that information, put it back into the process, check the box that says I was missing that, and now it's not missing. And I'm going to update the processor to say, yep, you're ready to go. That was the only missing document. We have it in now. You can move on. When the document comes in, it's missing something. What's the time frame between when the machine recognizes the missing document and the email goes out to the sender? Seconds. We're talking as soon as it knows that event has happened, the robot just works until it's done. It is seconds, really. And so then there's a queue, and at some point, the missing document arrives, then the computer recognizes it. And the robot does the same thing. So often what we do is we'll have a robot watch an inbox. This is the stuff coming back from customers. This is where they send it. My favorite thing is you've seen all those do not reply at such and such. Well, we let we say, please reply. We want the customer to reply. So now send this information right back to me. I'll take it and make sure the processor gets it. It's a friendly way to do things. For the vendors, what's been the reaction to the vendor? They're embracing it completely. In fact, more vendors are starting to send us better electronic data to begin with. They want to use the portal because now with an SLA of under 45 minutes, that makes this housing authority very popular. Well, the agent can say it's either going through or not in a very short period of time. Exactly. Visibility. Where where am I at? Oh, well, you submitted it 45 minutes ago. Now I can see how many documents the processor has already touched and looked at because it's on the portal. We update that portal with that information after the processor is So literally, the potential borrower could be in the seat with the agent and literally get an answer. Yes. And again, 45 is the average right now. And they've actually been lower at times. Again, you know, depending on the quality. If they've taken their time with their documents, the process goes very quick. The processors can do more loans because they're not correcting data. They're not entering data. They're reviewing the data and they have the image up and they can go, Robot missed this. I better correct it and let them know that we need to make sure this, you know, that so type of thing. From the housing authority's side, with this data capture, what's like the second or third level of intel that they're picking up from all of this? I would say the embracing, automating, manual, repetitive tasks. That is really the intel. They see error rates dropping significantly. So we've talked about digital transformation and the robot activities there. Year nine, as we go into year nine, now we're looking at all of the process that's surrounding that capture, that transformation of information. There's a lot of departments that still move data from a spreadsheet into a database or distribute spreadsheets because they're getting billed for some of the services that the housing authority doesn't do, but they hire out. So they get these bills in that are huge spreadsheets that somebody sits down and goes through as many columns as they can. The housing authority recognized they had currently one FTE assigned to handle the monthly bill from one of their providers. 
That's one FTE a whole year. For the folks, FTE. Full-time employee. The bill arrived every month, and it took four to five weeks to reconcile the bill. And they only did parts of it because you can't break even. If I find $10,000 of overcharge, it was probably worth having that FTE do it. If I only find $2,000, you may go, well, do we even really need to go reconcile that bill? What that second level of intel you were talking about is the recognition of, hey, let's get a robot to gather the information, get all that stuff off the spreadsheet, put it into a database. So now I've moved the stuff out of a spreadsheet and put it into a database. And the robot learns when there's an error. Well, what the robot does is move that data. And then it can take the information that's in the billing system, your ERP system, pull another set of data that represents, okay, here's the ERP system. Enterprise resource management. Basically, your account's payable. So now I have the accounts payable data. This is what I was told I was going to be billed for, and here's the costs. And now here's the actual bill, and I'm going to make sure they all match. I'm going to go through every line item I can and say, oh, you guys overcharged us, overcharged us, or hey, it all matches, we're good. So now I have two sets of data. I have the set that came in from this huge spreadsheet. One of them had over 100,000 rows of data. So you imagine sitting down and your job is to go through the spreadsheet. You're not going to go through every row or you're not going to go through every column, but you can imagine that I would have a hard time doing that. I would fall asleep probably pretty quickly. So the robot grabs the information, puts it into tables. One robot does that. And then the other robot grabs the information out of the accounting system. And then you have the third robot that does reconciliation. So now it's looking at every line item and it's doing a comparison and saying, okay, here's what they sent me. Let's go find it in our accounting tables and let's see if it matches. If it doesn't, let's write the third table, which is all of the things that are either higher or lower charges. If it matched, we're done. Move on to the next one. So we took that process that was one FTE, full-time employee for the whole year, And now the robot takes the spreadsheet that comes in for that monthly bill and processes in less than 12 minutes. So now this is all on a table. The other robot extracts the data from the accounting system. And that takes, I think, less than two minutes because that's data we already know and we understand. We don't have to do special checks when the other robot is processing the other bill. And then the third robot goes through it in about five minutes and says, all right. So we've taken something that was about a month's worth of work for each bill, and we reduced it to probably a day's worth of process time max. And now people are reviewing it, and they have some analytics tools that help the different departments look at these charges. So it says, oh, okay, here's the set that was overcharged. Why? So now you have employees instead of data entry and Review are actually just doing review. They're doing what they were hired to do. That is this movement towards what are all the ancillary activities that go around in your departments or in this housing authority that are manual tasks. I'm going to have a robot do it for you. Now you're going to review the results and you'll have time to do other things. So staffing can stay flat and you can handle more volume. That digital transformation growth that we did over the last eight to nine years, the staff has stayed the same. In fact, it shrunk and we're handling more volume. So those are some of the benefits you get 
out of investing into that process. What, you know, for the folks that are listening out there and they're going, we're somewhere in the process. We're somewhere along the scale. Maybe we're not eight years ago. Maybe we're scanning docs. Maybe we're there. That would sound pretty intimidating. I mean, you know, you kind of go, oh, that's like swallow the frog. I mean, you know, and so how should they think about the evolution of their process from, let's say they've got scan docs and they've got some kind of data retrieval that's okay, but they're trying to go to the next level. How should they characterize that thought process? Two ways to look at this. One of our guess, mantras is start small. If you've got documents that are being captured, I've got a scan document now, you're in a good space because now you have at least digitally. How do you then take that and put it in a location where it can be retrieved? Okay, so little baby steps, literally scan it, have somebody put some attributes on it, put it in a repository. That's a great start. And that costs money. What the housing authority learned is that capturing your information should be part of the business. It's no longer a project. You just don't do it once. This is one of the legs of the table that your business sits on. It's got to be a program. It's, it's got to be part of the budget. You can't be skimpy on it. Well, it's just like employees. Yes. This funnel feeds all your business. So let's take really good care of the funnel. Has the housing authority noticed a difference in their underwriting success? Absolutely. Or performance or... Well, performance, first of all, visibility, SLA, I can turn this around quickly so they get more customers and their decisions are better because now I'm not quickly going, all right, just entered all this data. I'm tired and now I'm going to make a decision. Rather, now they're just looking for, let me really look at this data and see what it says. So they have more time. And then do outliers and... Right. Part of the analytics piece, which is always behind the scenes... We try to push analytics sooner than later. Get the tools that'll let you see what your data actually means. You can collect a bunch of data and you may be very automated, but if you can't see the trends by using these tools, then... What's an anomaly? What's a standard deviation? What's out of the band? Yeah. Where do I put my min and max? And that's what it's all about. Where am I willing to take a risk? Where am I taking a human and making a key decision? So the analytics piece, which is always in the background, that's the other piece that I would recommend whoever's in this position of, hey, we're just starting here. Start collecting those analytics. Spend the money on the analytics tools because that'll keep you from gathering data that doesn't mean anything to you. You know, on pushback, when you talk to an organization that's data intensive, what's the typical pushback? Why people won't do this? I have a hard time figuring out why they wouldn't. Usually it's cost. It all comes down to, am I willing to make a program? or that third leg of my stool, however you want to look at it. Am I willing to put that money into my company? Do I have that kind of investment? That's usually the biggest pushback. Let's start with some simple process automation. Let's go look at some places in your departments that you guys are just moving data from this place to this place and distributing spreadsheets, whatever. Let's nibble away at what you're doing here. The various people that are doing that, can they measure when they get to the crossover point? where the automation is now saving them money instead of seeing it's seen as an investment, not a cost. Yes. By doing those smaller projects, those robotic process automation, so RPA, the big buzzword now, is basically I'm going to replace that repetitive stuff with a, with a process that'll do it for me, be accurate. And I'm going to start by saying this took me two hours a day to do this process. I do it every day. Get in at eight. Two hours later, I'm done with my, I guess I call it the grunt work. Now I can go about my day. And some people, maybe that's four hours. So if I can replace that two or four hours for you every day, now I have a metric. 
here's what I used to do. And I just shaved two hours off of my day every day. So you add that up over a year. And this is just one process. I can write robots to take over all sorts of, of those manual repetitive tasks. That's the way we help gain confidence in automation, educate people, because part of it is education. Or the pushback is robots are coming and I'm now obsolete. What we haven't talked about is when we say robot, you teach them how to build their own. Exactly. So the tool sets that we really embrace and we show up with are sets that are designed for a business owner or a business process user. You don't want a handful of consultants sitting next to your people building robots for them. That's very expensive. If I can teach you how to build the robot, you know your processes. I'm just there to show you how to build the robot. So the tool sets that we employ are very friendly. Within a month, somebody gets very comfortable building their own robots. They've removed the consultant part of it out of it. And now the benefit becomes now I can have my business analysts, perhaps a manager who runs a department who knows all the processes. Let's give them the keys. Let's let them build their robots. And then they can start using them internally within their own. So you know, in, in my mind, I'd take and go, okay, I've got a simple process. I'm going to build a robot. Then I'm going to take a look at the output. And then I'm going to go calculate it myself manually to make sure that I didn't blow it up. And so for you guys, where you come in is, they said, you know, we've got a problem with what we did in our robot and it's kicking out a different number. What happens then? Do you guys step in? You bet. Oftentimes what happens is in the tool sets, again, really are geared towards you have an environment as a robot author. I can sit down in my environment and I can make sure my robot runs end to end. I can grab information. I can go to the web and get information and go to spreadsheets and databases. I can take that information and I can process it and put it into a table and then I can run reports off of it and I can do checks on it all before it ever gets pushed in any kind of production environment. So that in itself, most people correct their bugs or errors right away. And if they're having struggles, we come in and help guide them around those or show them this is why this is broken here. And so if you have a big data center in Des Moines, we've been picking on Des Moines since we've been here. And- they want you to do something. You can do that from here. Remote. Yeah, so exactly. Cool. These days, you can do a Zoom session or a WebEx, whatever vehicle you use. We can take over the keyboard, show them where the issue is, or we can reproduce the issue. Say, send me the robot. It's the other thing. These things are powerful. I can package them up. You can send it to me. I can play with it a little bit. Say, oh, okay, I see where your issue is. Here's what you need to do to fix it. So very interactive tool. There's a number of them out there too. So, you know, we've talked on purpose about this one entity because I wanted to take in and drill down and really talk about the evolution of the process. There's other industries that are data heavy. What are the ones that come to your mind that you've impacted? as well as the housing authority. Medical claims processing, huge opportunities there. Interactions with not only the primary care providers and doctors and nurses, right? Because there's a lot of activity that happens that is all manual. Hey, I got to generate a letter because this particular patient doesn't have an attorney, right? Because it was a claim. So now I've got to send data to them. Well, I'm going to write a letter and do it. So there's all this ancillary activity that robotic processes can handle for you. 
So claims processing, huge. We're finding a lot of government and public entities that don't have the budget. It's always a struggle with budget. If I can put together a package that lets you build robots at a very easy cost to get in. For an easy cost, what does that represent? So let's say for under $30,000, you can build as many robots as you want. And typically the way they work is they only can run one robot at a time. If you need to run five or six at a time, that's when the cost starts increasing. But if you're doing one at a time and it's sequential. Yeah. And what it does is it queues up and some of these robots take seconds to run. So you can imagine that it should take a while before you need that second concurrent robot to run. So when I say reasonable, I look at 30K includes that robot set. You've got a development set. You've got training. This is how I build the robots. And now you have this tool set that can start in any department. When you do a tool set for, let's say somebody has a very, very unique and special process, can they protect that intellectual property? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, again, it just crossed my mind. Yeah. So the tool itself allows you to publish and give access to running that. So if you don't want anybody to run your robot, you just don't give them access to it. So in a sense, it is protected. One of the things I've seen lately with the medical industry is there's data out there in different sources, right? All over the world. They just don't know what they have. If I could get permission to write robots to bring data to help diagnostics. So if I'm a doctor or a nurse practitioner and I have a patient with a certain issue, where do you go to look at all the data that's been collected? This is predominantly machine learning. At what point in time do you go from the data fetch on machine learning to artificial intelligence where you're looking at second and third generation thoughts? Robots are pretty mindless. There's some machine learning and it it can learn from some things. But right now, robots are data collectors and data pushers, and they can be data checkers. Clean things, I can migrate things, I can data acquisitions, I can move data. Now the robot says, let me build that repository for you that now my artificial intelligence algorithms can go absorb. And now I can go send queries out to my AI to get information back, start doing predictive analysis. So the robot really is a vehicle. I'm a big believer in their wonderful digital workforce. I can have thousands of them working, no overtime, 24-7. And now I can go interact with these repositories that maybe I help create, but I'm actually not smart. If you think about that way, the robotic process automation is just another worker. I'm accurate and I can move things quickly. The AI piece is going to continue to grow and evolve. And let me go just talk to it. If you need information out there, I'll write a robot that goes, grabs that information based on the information you have. I'll send it over there and then I'll send you the results back. I think about inventory control. Let's say you always had two on hand and every time I look at it, you're, you're out. And you go like, well, in January and February, you should have four on hand. If you see this event, then you should have eight on hand. If you don't see this event, and I think that's for me where you look at the intel that comes into your data. Exactly. That's the analytics piece. So now I'm going to step back from the data I'm collecting, which is what the robots do great. And I'm going to let my BI tools and my intelligence tools and my analytics tools start showing me projections, doing the predictions. Okay, here's the trend. Let's make sure we've ordered. And maybe you have the robots interact with that and say, let's get the orders in now. Anytime we hit this peak, let's send the robots off to go do this information. So events trigger robots. The analysis can trigger robots. They're great distributors of data. That's really where I see that movement. We've been chatting, Wayne. I've been remiss. You know, for the folks that are going like, 
would you shut up and please tell me how I can reach out and find these guys? <laughs> you know, and so how do people find you? We have a pretty good presence on the web, LinkedIn. You can find us at budalogic.com. B-U-D-D-H-A-L-O-G-I-C.com. That'll get you to our website. We're introducing our Buddha Bots page, which is coming soon, which highlights some of the things that we've been doing in the robotic process automation world and give you guys some samples and some ideas. We love doing what we call orientations. I've found that that word changes how people look at what they're about to see. Within a couple hours, I can usually sit down with somebody and build a robot with them. That's the power of some of these tools. I'm going to show you how to do this teach you how to fish. And then if you have more complex problems or you want to take that next step where like the housing authority did, they really took the, we're going to do this and we're going to make it a backbone. And now we're finding, I can start you with some of that robotic process automation, get you comfortable with it. You're educated. You understand what you can do. Now let's look at your backbone. And now we're probably making smarter choices because you've already understand what data isn't important to you. So the person out there is going like, what skill set do I currently have to have in order to have an intelligent conversation to create a bot within two hours? Very simple. You know your process. So for me, if I had a spreadsheet and I go like, okay, I'm going to do data fetch in my spreadsheet and I've got my data aligned and I always take this data and I do the following things with it and it dumps to this other spreadsheet all the time. This is what I do. Exactly. So that right there, what you just described to me, I can show you how to build that robot and you can do that for any of those processes. In fact, what you'll find is you migrate away from spreadsheets and all of a sudden you become a database fan because now everybody can access it instead of me handing you a spreadsheet to go look at and review. For the social media crowd, let's say that you wanted to go out on Twitter and said anytime anybody says chair, I don't care, but whatever word it is. And you could literally create a bot that would go do data fetch out of Twitter. I can have it watch Twitter. A robot can be scheduled to run every second or it can be scheduled to run every day or however you want to do it. It can be run ad hoc. I can publish some links to, you just call them like apps, little robot apps. And if I have access to it and I open up that app, it prompts me for some information and goes off and does a search for me or maybe brings back information I'm interested in. Authors can author for other people in the department who really don't need to know how to build a robot, but they need to be able to use it because they're doing searches. HR is a great example. We need to go find Ruby on Rails programmers because we have a big project coming up. So now I'm going to send them a link to a little application that prompts for, well, what's the programming language and where do you want them? I'm going to go out and I'm going to search GitHub. I'm going to search LinkedIn. I'm going to search I'm going to get some information back and present it to you. Here's what I found. So this takes minutes instead of sitting down and going, all right, go out to Google, go out to LinkedIn, start searching. You can imagine how much time that would save. There's one application that you could write that would allow you to do it. You know, we've been at this for a while. I could go on for hours. (laughs) Well, we got a lot of storage. I mean, we could get going. I think the challenge is folks get intimidated by the word robot or, or automated process. And there's some level of concern about replacing people. My sense is that I'm more interested in the Intel massage than the data massage. Get that going. And we came back on purpose to do a deep dive. This is absolutely atypical of what we typically do on the podcast. And I thought it was important for business owners out there. The worst thing you can do is not call. I agree. I think you're leaving a lot of money on the table. It's an education and then it's an awareness. And then it really does help you eliminate 
unnecessary work when you start automating more of your world because it just uncovers those things right away. Oh, all right. This is data we're not interested in. Let's leave it alone. Here are the processes that we improve. In fact, we re-engineered them. We made them simpler because we have a tool that can do it for us now. I think about the old 80-20 rule. Right. Absolutely. We're focused on 80% of the world and 20% of really where we need to focus. We can focus our tools on that 20% and automate the 80 so it just pops up every now and again. Right. And another thought about robots. Robots don't do everything. AI is out there, but it's not a robot. So a robot, the way I look at it is if I can tell you, I can take your process that's the 100% process, and I can do 80% of that for you right off the bat. I'm going to leave the other 20% as is because it's it's a human. They need to touch it. They need to approve it. I can do 80% of that for you with a robot. So now that employee or employees have more time to actually do that review. And now I'm doing a much better job at it. So do you find larger physician practices adopting these tools? There's not a comfort level there yet. It's an education. And again, that's why this tool set is so important because you can do it slowly. I'm not coming in there saying, all right, we're going to replace your file system. There's no switch. The robot is as close to a switch as you can get. I can build something within a week to help you with the process. That's a pretty... Yeah, that's a big deal. That is. One other note, one of the things that we've found with the robots and the adoption is good is that the IT department is usually slammed. Nobody has time to build an application for you. And you have to get it on the books and you have to get everybody lined up and you have to have the budget for it. So now if I'm a business owner or a department head and I can write my robots and then when I'm ready, IT gets involved because we have to put it into production, that changes IT's view too. Say, hey, those guys have to do the work. If it breaks, it notifies the admin and the person who wrote it. They're responsible for fixing it. That's just another little thing that showed up with robots that IT gets to take a little bit of a break from all the development that they typically have to go pursue. For me, you know, this is really what I wanted to do. I really wanted to do a deep dive. I hope the folks that are listening, this is helpful for them to understand what's going on in the space. And again, I would encourage folks that are listening to reach out to see if it applies and if not now, when. Because I think one way or another is going to show up. And if they're not doing it, their competitor's doing it. Exactly. You have, uh, and it's not hard to get started. And you don't have to have a crew. You can come in and can start a robotic center of excellence in your environment. And you can start growing it in its internal growth. Well, Charlie, I appreciate you taking time. And we're missing the Jimmy Buffett concert. Oh, It's I know. across the street. <laughs> I don't have my parrot hat on or whatever. But in any case, which for this is probably irrelevant, but it affects parking, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, thank you. I really enjoy talking with you. And I think we've covered some nice adventurous exploration for businesses. The fact that you've been doing this for eight or nine years for this one company and they continue to expand what they're doing. Exactly. And an ongoing basis. And you look at that, they wouldn't keep doing this if they didn't see the value. And they embrace it. And it's becoming more and more part of their culture. People are talking about it. That's how it works. Why can't we do this this way? Right. And when do we get a robot? So what's nice is let me train you and you can build your own. So that changes you know, how people look at them. They're not afraid of them anymore. They see it as a helper, not a replacer. Yeah, so much nicer to analyze the data than load it. Yes. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. You bet.